there's a particular commentary line with Andy Gray. As soon as we score, he says, oh no, oh no. And I'm thinking, oh yes. Welcome all to YE1 Daily with me, Ian Wallace, the usual duo of Simeon and Peter Wright. And for this 2006-07 edition, BBC Sport cameraman and huge Spurs supporter, Christopher Smith. Chris, how are you at what is obviously a strange time for everyone, especially you, as there's no sport for you to film? Yeah, OK. Thanks for having me. Yeah, crazy times. And obviously being a sport cameraman that was looking forward to the Euros with England and Tokyo this summer... I've now found myself with literally nothing to do. All the interviews are being done via Zoom and Skype, etc. And they're cutting packages for like the, the 1, 6 and 10 news, which I also do, just from those. I've done one interview with Richard Bevan, the LMA chief executive, in his front garden. I was with Dan Rowan. And we were all like two metres apart and had a massive pole that for the microphone you can't put mics on people or anything so it's it's very strange but i haven't done much work at all really oh, okay interesting sim and peter welcome to this edition how are you guys yeah good not yeah. too bad Ian. not too bad great to have someone like you chris on the show obviously being a bbc sport cameraman is obviously a dream job but can we just sort of talk to you about spurs just a couple of spurs questions then we'll sort of talk to you about your job and some uh, interesting things but who spurs was i mean i know you're a huge spurs fan who, who's been your favourite player ever for Spurs? Oh, oh that's tricky. Um, I, have, I have several, really. I mean, Glenn Hoddle got me massively into Spurs when I was you know, a teenager. Loved Glenn and the way he used to ping the ball around. But then, you know, I like exciting players where, you know, even when we was not at our best Spurs, you know, Ginola, you could, you know, he excited me. When I watched Tottenham, even in those dark times... You know, when yeah. he got the ball, you know, and started running at defenders, it was exciting. I loved it. And you've got Gascoigne, obviously, who was absolutely brilliant. And then later on, we had Gareth Bale. So I just like players that are just, that can bring that something different, that spark and can change the game. It's, I think all those players just mentioned, they all did it. Yep, all, all those players, yeah. they, they lifted bums off seats, didn't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Ginola was... Yeah. For me, in that we had, we didn't have a great side, and he he was just, you know, you're right. He, he just bums off seats. You didn't know what he was going to do next, as in what he did, because he had the skill, the pace, and the trickery. But you know, and he's tear off, and it it was great. You know, even though you lost two runs to Bolton again, yeah. That was great. Great times. We've been lucky over the years, even though the teams have been pretty turgid during the 90s, but we had some great players, didn't we, then? What, Chris, would be your best ever memory of watching Spurs? Like, your best favourite ever game or best ever memory? I have to say, I was thinking about this, and I think it's a game I wasn't at. I was in Amsterdam for the semi-final against Ajax. About 25 of us went over, and only half of us had tickets. And I watched it in a bar, and it was still, to this day... Even the Arsenal games and everything like that and the last-minute winners, etc. I didn't see it coming like the, the rest of us. And the thrill of me being 47 years of age at that point, 
and tearing my shirt off and running up and down and kissing strangers <laughs> when Maura scored that goal was I've just yeah. not had adrenaline like it, I don't think. Did you get uh, that must have been a sigh, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, straight away. But I think from sheer joy, I cannot remember me going absolutely bonkers as a grown man like that and not caring what I was doing and who was watching me and jumping up and down with a lot of strangers, but all Spurs fans and just the atmosphere in this bar. It was only a small bar. Was absolutely brilliant. Definitely a situation where you would end up hugging a stranger. Chris, we're just moving on to your work stuff now, then I'll open some questions up for Sim and Peter. I know you do a lot of the press conferences because you're based up in Manchester, so you do a lot of the press conferences on the Friday mornings for the Northwest clubs. What was it like being at those press conferences? And is there any sort of staged questions or can anyone ask anything? Um, well, every sort of club is different. When you go to Manchester City, where the setup is amazing, where they give you the same food that the players have, they treat you really nice, they let everyone in, you're only allowed to ask one question, because Pep Guardiola, bless him, goes on and on. Um, and especially if you talk about tactics, his eyes light up and he can talk all day. So they restrict you to one question, whereas Liverpool, they'll go Sky first, then the BBC, then you know whoever. And you can ask a couple. It does depend on the club. But unless someone's like a player over the weekend has been sent off for a horrendous tackle or something horrendous like racism or something, the press officer will come in and speak to the journalist and say beforehand, just say, look, are you going to throw any sort of, um, you know, hand grenades? And I'm not talking about Oreo here. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, just to give him a heads up so he can like let... Klopp no or Guardiola or something like that. But generally, it's pretty much a free-for-all. And you, you see the same people all the time. It's like a little travelling northwest community, which I'm, I'm no doubt it's the same at, down in London with the London clubs. You see the same, you know, Vinny from Sky and blah, blah, blah. So it's quite nice. It's quite nice. OK, Sim or Pete, you got any questions you want to throw them? I just wonder what, what would be a typical pre-match pre-match meal at Man City then? What would it consist of? Oh, it's just that, you know, your chicken and rice or pasta, you know, massive carbs. But, it, you know, it's my healthiest meal of the, of the week, basically. <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's any sauce, sauce allowed with that pasta. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Another two people that do my job in the North West and we all battle to go to... Manchester City because we know we're going to get fed and free coffees where <laughs> other clubs you don't get anything really Everton you might get a bacon roll in the morning because they have theirs quite early but yeah we're all battled to go to City because they are they're class in that department you had an interview recently in Richard Bevan's front garden and say you're in more of like a I don't know if you want to call it like an intimate setting you say you're, you're shooting an interview with a reporter and uh, you're the cameraman and you're in someone's front room if something's like pre-recorded, what are the, the players, the managers, the officials, what are these people like off air? If, say, you've got a bit of time to chat to them before and after. They're quite nice. Some are very shy. Whereas someone like Jurgen Klopp, you can have a great chat with. He always says hello as well. A few times I met Pochettino when I did the, the new stadium stuff. Again, always say hello. How are you doing? And you can have a chat. Someone like Rooney's a bit shy. Yeah. You're not going to get much out of him, but if they're just um, they're just normal people, and and sometimes they chat a lot more off camera. Then once the camera's on, obviously they they sort of freeze up a bit. But it's always good to have a chat. And when I first started, I was a bit intimidated by you know all these. I know they're only sports stars, but I was. Or do I say anything now? I'm like, hey, how you doing? You're right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you missed a you missed a sitter at the weekend. You know. <laughs> and they like that. 
they don't like doing the press half the time. I, I get that. But if you're just nice to them and smiley and just generally chit-chat nice things, they're great. Someone like Rooney would be a bit wary of the press, maybe, once the red yeah. light goes on, perhaps. Yeah, I did it when he signed for Washington. So he was just out there for uh, his new team. And actually, he was one of the best that I've... I've done a few times because he was sort of lonely. He wasn't even at that point. He wasn't even out there with his family. And he did a little piece with us. And his chat wasn't great, but he, <laughs> he did open up a little bit more than what he normally would. Who, Chris, is the most likeable person you sort of film? Well, I have to say Jurgen Klopp, I think. On a regular basis, Jurgen Klopp always... What you see with him is what you get. That crazy laugh, those, those lovely white teeth. He yeah. is literally laughing and joking all the time. Even when someone says or asks him a ridiculous question in a press conference, he still comes out and makes a joke. I'd say Jurgen Klopp is the most likeable. I don't know anyone who doesn't like him or has been on the end of a hairdryer, for instance. See, I would say that you've got the perfect gig there working up in the Northwest because the old adage of keeping work and pleasure separate. And I feel like Spurs fans don't really... Or me personally, for me, I don't have too much resentment of, say, Man United, Liverpool, Man City. I don't really care about them. Whereas Chelsea and Arsenal, it's scum and Tottenham, I love them. Absolutely. So I feel like I feel it's quite good that you that you detach from the London clubs and you kind of you're based in that northwest world. Yeah, I didn't realise how bad it was. Uh, I mean, I live in Cheshire, and there's a mainly Man City fans, then United, a few sprinkled Liverpool, but. Whoo-hoo. It's yeah. massive, the hatred between the clubs and the, mm. and the stick and everything. I was lucky enough to do the Spurs opening of the new stadium. So I had a tour with Daniel Levy all around the ground. Oh. I filmed Daniel Levy for the world, the only cameraman that did it, and then sent it out. That was nerve-wracking on the pitch. And obviously I went to the first game and stuff. So I'm so lucky when it comes to that. I, you know, I asked yeah. and said, look, there's this big thing for me coming up. Please, 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 can I film it for the news and stuff? And luckily, I went down. That was, again, one of my favourites. I bet you had to crouch down quite low because he's not a very big guy, Daniel Levy. Yeah, no, the lights, the lights were on his head and I was thinking, this is going around the world, this giant <laughs> off his head. That's all I was thinking. Was, what did he film it there for? I was absolutely panicking, yeah. nerve-wracking. But he was actually, he was a nice guy. Chris, I was just thinking about the light shining off his head. Is that a bit like the light shining off of... Jürgen Klopp's teeth. Did you have to, you need sunglasses on to look at his teeth? <laughs> you do. I mean, they're, they're, for me, no, they've all got the same dentist, for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. What has been your best ever event your, your job has got enabled you to get into uh, as you're working on it? Apart from the result, I was lucky enough to go to the Champions League final against Liverpool. I was out there for a week and I did all the pre-match pressers. I was outside the Spurs hotel. I managed to do Ledley King and Aussie Ardiles and quite a few ex-players that were staying in the team hotel, got Poch, had a chat with Poch briefly while he was going to his into his car. And obviously then I went to the game. So that personally, from a selfish point of view, is a massive Spurs fan, wow. apart from the result. I literally sat down in my seat, halfway line, best seat in the house, as uh, Sissoko gave away the penalty. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. But I've just come back from Australia to do the women's cricket T20 World Cup, which was great, amazing country, went to loads of different states out there. I mean, I'm just lucky, really. That ain't working. <laughs> no, that ain't <laughs> no. Working. Well, right. One last question, Chris, before we move on. What is Potch really like? Because obviously, I mean, you know, and all three of us, are, you know, we love the guy. 
but what is he actually really like? He is a nice guy. When I went to the opening of the stadium in the daytime, there was like all the press gathered in that little restaurant bit there. I can't remember what it's called. And we're all queuing up for food and Potch got round with the um, the chefs and that. Jesus was there as well, you know, like serving the food out. I said, God, things aren't that bad, are they? And he was laughing. And then, you know, having a great chat. Something must have happened for him to fall out of love with Spurs, which I yeah. personally think he did in the end. But at this, at that point, with the new stadium, I think he was in full flow. Still loved it. He looked very happy. He will stop and say hello. You know, I'm, I miss him. I miss him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. What was his mood like, Chris, just prior to the game? Was he tense? No, I've still got it on my phone um, because I filmed him coming out of his hotel. He went straight into a car. Oh, no, it's the other way around. And Mark Fleming, my producer, sort of said, oh, you know, um, how are you feeling? And he was just cool, calm, great, looking forward to it, you know, blah, blah, blah. He didn't look stressed out at all. Even though he was coming out with that stuff about if we win, he'll probably quit and all that stuff at the time. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly at the time. It didn't look to me like he had the world on his shoulders at all, which he certainly did after that final. Real shame. Well, thanks, Chris. It's brilliant to get an insight into your world of being a BBC sports cameraman. It's brilliant to look out for a lot of your stuff. On the BBC website, a lot of it's on this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot of it ends up there. If it can't, it's not good enough to get on TV. Right, so let's begin our recollection of the 2006-2007 season, which saw Martin Yole's side secure back-to-back fifth-place Premier League finishes. So if we cast our minds back to the summer of 2006, Peter, we were treated to a fantastic sign in the shape of Bulgarian striker Dimitar Berbatov. But I know you have a huge gripe about a player who was sold that summer. Go on, Peter, tell us about your gripe. Yeah, very happy about Berbatov, but uh, I mean, any listeners to this podcast will have heard me bang on ad infinitum about players being sold at the peak of their career to rival Premier League clubs or Real Madrid. Player in question was Michael Carrick, um, who I considered at the time was like the heartbeat of our midfield, at the base of our midfield. This cute eye for passing, and, and and he was just replaced by, in my opinion, a downgrade in Didier Zakora. These were the days when we were considered a feeder club for Man United. Carrick went on to give the best, you know, ten years of his career to United and bagged titles and also a Champions League. I get very bitter and twisted about people leaving without winning anything in a Spurs shirt. And it's something that looks to show no sign of changing and. 14 years since that happened and with only a League Cup to yeah, show. Yeah, totally I'm agree. A, I'm a broken but, record um, on that in, subject, I'm afraid. I can hear it in your voice. Um, Sim, obviously at this time, I mean, you were quite young then, but we'd finished fifth the season before. Did you feel excited about the transfers who came in that summer? Zakora, yeah. Berbatov, Malbrank, Chimbonda, who was highly rated at yeah, the yeah. time, and Benoit Asokoto came in as well. I mean, we actually spent quite big. I don't know how you felt at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was, yeah, I was about eight at the time, so I think anything to do with football just excites you at that point. I can't really say I knew much about Berbatov. I think I remember my dad saying, yeah, we signed a striker with a bit of a funny name. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until we actually saw him out on the pitch. He'd been at Leverkusen. But, yeah. you know, I, I became very excited straight away after seeing him. You repeat a lot that your, your parents say if, you're, if your parents are football fans. And pretty much what we've just heard about Michael Carrick was kind of the, <laughs> the narrative in the house. And he'd been probably one of my favourite players the season before. So yeah. that was very difficult to see him leave and to see him in a Man United shirt as well. We sat in a cafe yes. in uh, Greece 
in that August, just looking at the new signings and writing out the team on a, on a paper napkin. I remember, I remember doing that. Yeah. That, <laughs> that summer. Chris, in that same summer where we felt we spent big, Chelsea bought Shevchenko for 30 million. They bought Obi Mikel for 16 million and Ashley Cole for about 5 million. I mean, they spent massively. So, Chris, do you remember? I mean, you were season ticket holder at the time. Well, you must have been quite excited going into the season with what we bought. Yeah, but I, I also think, I mean, I love Carrick. He was like a quarterback in American football, just passing that ball around great. And just think what it would have been like if Berbatov and Carrick oh. would have been in that same team. Would have been, you know, we can only wish for, but that would have put us another level, I think, because Berber was so good. You know, he's always two passes ahead of everyone else, apart from, say, Robbie Keane. But, yeah, you know, we we, we signed a few, quite a few players, you know. Um, yeah. So Chip I'm, Gondor was highly rated, Chris. I don't know if you remember. He had a, he had a great season. A lot of people wanted him. He was 4.5 million for a fullback. And we got a Cotto, did we, as well? That, was that that year? He took years to establish himself, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. The other players who went out as well, you know, Rassiak went for 2 million. How on earth Levy got 2 million for him? Andy <laughs> Reid, Callum Davenport for 3 million to West Ham. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then Davids went as well on a free back. Yeah, do you remember Navet? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I, I liked him. I thought he was quite, quite a silky little, not not pacey, but a silky yeah. little defender. I quite liked him at the back. Yeah, but... all right. I heard someone talking about their best ever team and he got in that best ever team recently. I can't remember who it was, actually. Nabet, one of the Spanish players was talking about him. Uh, was it, but, was um, he Moroccan? No, was he Moroccan? I think, yeah, Moroccan. Yeah, he was Moroccan. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, we, we finished fifth the season before. We're all really, really excited about the season. But I think we had a lot of injuries that season, so, do you remember we had a, yeah. obviously King was injured a lot Jenis was injured a lot he was a key player for us Mel Brank was and Tanio and also we had short term injuries to Berbatov Zakora and yeah. Keenan Lennon during the season now, do you think games, we yeah. if we hadn't had those injuries we could have had a title t- tilt that season do you think Peter we were a little, slightly a bit of a level below that but we did play 59 games that season a lot of games we were in a lot of competitions and that I think it took its toll I think we could possibly have finished in the top four. I don't know about the title, but I just thought the money that you mentioned, the money that Chelsea were spending, uh, I think we were dealing a level below that, I think. We had Defoe, Key, Mido and Berbatov. You know, we've got one striker now. The season before, I think Mido scored 13 goals in the Premier. You know, he wasn't that bad. No, no, he was good. So to have them on the bench as well, perhaps we should have done better than we did. We also had a really strong pre-season. I mean, we beat Bordeaux, Nice, Birmingham, Inter Milan, Sociedad, and we drew with Dortmund in Dortmund. So, you know, I, I just felt I just felt quite really positive. But then, Sim, if we could sort of go to the first sort of six games of the season, it was a shocking start, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And this was just a period where we just couldn't seem to start seasons well. And I think there's a very kind of clear explanation for that, and that is just doing the business late. I mean, you talked about Chimbonda, the the right back that we brought in, very good right back, a bit of a snip at 4.5 million, but we got him really late in the window, I remember. Mal Bronk came quite late in the window as well. Obviously, you got players like Zakora and Berbatov, Asakoto, who hadn't played in the Premier League before, so had to adjust to the pace of it. You guys talked about, could we have had a title push? Could we have, could we have had a top four challenge that year? I mean, in the end, we finished eight points off the top four. But a lot of that just boils down to the start of the season. We 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 lost three of our first four games. I don't know if you guys remember that ridiculous Ivan Campo goal for Bolton, where he just yeah. drilled it really low from about twenty five yards. Yeah. But that was the first day of the season, and you know that Bolton team, uh, very physical with Allardyce Kevin and Davis. Kevin Davis. Oh. He scored in that game. Yeah. Uh, you, you know that's not the game that you want on day one, is it? When you've got players who 
aren't used to the Premier League. Is it just me or is it everybody was scoring wonder strikes against us? Absolutely. Like, like, like if you look at this <laughs> season, I get a bit paranoid about it. It's like everybody reserved their wonder strikes. Martin's two guy. <laughs> Martin's like the most powerful shot I've ever seen in my life. The Newcastle goal. Yeah, us. It was a Harry Kane yeah, one. Did. I remember as well. Uh, I don't know if it was this season, but we, season before. We, um, that's, that's right. Yeah. We lost four out of our first six games, Chris. You, I mean, you're a season ticket holder at the time. Is there yeah. any of those early games which really stick out in your mind? No, I, I, all I remember through all that absolute drivel at the start where we just lost, you know, we beat West Ham 1-0, that was about it. But then we played Chelsea that always beats us in November. Again, that's one of my favourite games when Lennon popped yeah. up. I remember that because Elliot, my son, was there and he was very young and I lost him, basically, in the <laughs> first time I'd seen us beat Spurs at Chelsea at while later. I was trying to remember the time, but um, yeah. I lost him in the bodies, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, I can imagine there it was great. It was flying. Yeah. We've got a picture outside my bedroom of uh, Ashley Cole and John Terry lying on the floor and Lennon sort of like scoring that goal. That's a, that's straight in a framed picture outside my bedroom. It's a really good goal by Lennon because you're yeah. erratic sometimes, but that was a really, really yeah. like calm, you know, considered finish, wasn't it? He, he wasn't really renowned for that, was he? Yeah, he put Terry and Cole on the floor, which is what's in the, yeah. depicted in that picture, mm. which is nice. There's another game in that season, which is right up there. It's two of my favourite games were in this season ever, Spurs, as well as the West Ham game as well. Oh. I was down the pub watching that in Edmonton or somewhere like can, that and unbelievable scenes. Chris, can I just give some context on that game? Because this was an unbelievable game for listeners who are possibly a bit young. They went 3-2 up on 85 minutes. So we're 3-2 down, 3-3 on 89. And then we won 4-3 um, last minute. Chris, I'll uh, take it back to you. Oh, and it was just, it was Defoe, wasn't it? It was just racing through. I think it was their corner, I think. And then we just broke. And Jermaine Defoe was just, I'm thinking, pass it. Stolteri was bombing forward. We're completely broken through the, the West Ham defence. And then Defoe had a shot. It was like, for that second, thinking, greedy. And then the goalkeeper yeah. scored it. And there he was. Stolteri yeah. slid it in. Oh, my God. The scenes in uh, yeah. Edmonton Limbs. Club or wherever I was, was... Brilliant, and that is that is right. I think I prefer that to the Chelsea game because it yeah. just the last minute thing of it was just brilliant. What's yeah. a game that that's right? Peter, that's my best games ever, I think. Yeah, me too. Peter, do you remember yeah. that? Did you go to that game, Peter? No, we watched it uh, Super Sunday here on uh, Sky. Yeah, and I, I just there's a particular commentary line with Andy Gray. As soon as we score, he says, oh, no, oh, no. And I'm thinking, oh, yes. Coming the season after Leicester San Gate, the previous season. So we'll get on to that when we next podcast. Definitely. Our history of actually beating the top four, five, six teams in the Premier League is absolutely terrible. It's appalling. Uh, we beat Chelsea, but um, I think that was it. During those years, we never seemed to beat United or unless it was in a, a random cup game or something, or beat Chelsea, or beat Arsenal even. We used to draw with Arsenal a lot. But, you yeah. know, that's always part of our Spurs mentality. Anyone half-decent, until the Poch era, really, we never beat anyone above us. Can I just throw a question out there to Peter, if I throw it to you? At the time, I mean, we lost a lot of games in that season. Do you think Martin Yole was not tactically good enough? Or do you think he just didn't breed that tough mentality? You know, he was a romantic of football. 
do you think he was just great at the time? But again, it's just a short term and never long term decision. We should have got like a real, real big manager and threw some money at the manager, Peter. No, I, do, I thought at the time it was a breath of fresh air coming in. I don't know about tactically whether he was kind of like at the level of what the rivals were, like Mourinho at the time, I think, Fergie and Wenger. But I think what he did, he just brought together this crop of British players coming through at the time. That's what I liked about him, and it was like a... Although he is a foreign manager, in fact, he kind of played, you know, in the English league, so he had that sort of British kind of mentality about him. And I thought there was definitely an improvement from the dark days of the early 2000s, you know, when he came in. But whether he were able, would, would have been able to take us up to the next level, he definitely should have got us into the Champions League, and he just fell short of that. But as far as a title-winning tilt, not so sure he was the man for that, really. Uh, that's that's interesting. I mean, we we drew we drew with Arsenal at home. I don't know if you remember that Jenner's equaliser in the last minute, that absolute rocket low shot. Anyone remember that, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we scored a lot of goals that season, but yeah. we let in a lot as well. And I think uh, Martin Yol was one of those, you know, a good team to watch. Spurs were at that point, but you know, he yeah, went. Let's see if we'll try and score four, but you might score three. Sort of, sort of thing, you know. I don't think he was tactically, defensively. No, you know, we did score a lot of goals. I'm just scrolling down now. You know, all Manchester United beat us four 0 at home, but um, I won't go there. Yeah, but there was but, a period uh, over Christmas. There was a period over Christmas, Chris, which I, I was a real killer for us. Where I mean, we had five defeats in seven games from Christmas to February. I mean, that that killed us. We were sick. We yeah. were eight points off fourth place in the end. Why could Yol not reverse that sort of like slide? You know, it's in our mentality. It's always been the same. You always thought that we were going to score a goal when we went on the pitch, you know, but you know, people like Berbatov and Keane, you always thought we were going to get, but it was just a back line. I just think we were always going to concede. Liverpool came third and they conceded 27. Arsenal came fourth, they conceded 35. Everton, sixth, conceded 36. Bolton, seventh, 52. We conceded 54 and finished fifth. So more than any of anyone in that cluster. I think that says everything. Just to wrap up the Premier League in that season, from the 21st of February, we showed Champions League form to the end of the season. We lost once in 13 games and that was to Chelsea. So, you know, that was a great end to the season. Were you there, Chris, when Robinson scored against Watford? Do you know what? That day, I didn't bother going. And I was at home and then I was, I think I was ill. And I remember looking on, you know, like Sky Soccer Saturday or something. Yeah. I thought, oh, for God's sake. The only days I didn't go when I had a season ticket was the Robinson goal. And also we beat Hull City, was it 9-1 or no, something? Wigan. 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 Or Wigan. Yeah, I missed that as well. So, no, I've, oh, I can't believe that. Yeah. Can I ask each one of you, was fifth place good at that point in our evolution under Joel? Peter? I thought it was a move in the right direction. I think we could have done better with... Uh, better defensive strategy but I thought it was an improvement on what had gone before Berbatov and Keane having their first season together I mean they were always showing signs that they were classed together as in the, the, the go-to front two but you know we got into the sixth round of the cup and lost to Chelsea we got to the semi-finals of the League Cup where we lost to the dreaded Arsenal we did alright in the um, Europa League Definitely, I agree. Going in the right direction. The season after that was the one we should have really pushed on. Zakora was never the same player or even in a style of player as Carrick. And they're totally different players. Zakora's more of a bite your ankles and 
as I say, Carrick was a quarterback who could just pass it on a plate to anyone. So they just we didn't replace him like for like. Sim, what was your sort of thoughts of the season? Any fifth place was good in our evolution, do you think? Chris was spot on there about Carrick. We had less points this season. Maybe a lot of that's to do with the amount of competitions we were in and playing more 59 games in, in the season, whereas we played 40 the season before. You could probably say we had a better team than we had the year before. The season before, Tainio had kind of slotted in as like a workman-like player on the left and we had a more flair player in Mal Bronco, had more goals in him this season. We had Chimbonda at right back. We hadn't really sorted out the left-back position and we had Berbatov up top. So I think we had a better side than we had the year before, but then maybe we didn't actually because Carrick was just so, so yeah. much better than Zakora. So it's hard to tell if our side was any better really. Yeah, as, as Chris just alluded to in the RFA Cup, we had a really, really good run. We hammered some teams. Actually, I remember going to the Cardiff replay, actually. We beat them 4-0 at home, and a real highlight of that was Spurs fans singing, you're just a third world country, to the Cardiff fans, which always amused me. But going back to sort of the mentality thing, I mean, we were 3-1 up away at Chelsea um, in the FA Cup game, ended up drawing that game 3-3, and we went out 2-1. And then also in the League Cup game, we were 2-0 up at home in the semi-final of the first leg against Arsenal, end up drawing 2-2. So, again, it's, it's happened over the years, hasn't it, Chris? I don't know what it is. Yeah, we've got a weak spine. That, you know, we haven't we haven't had a, a captain. You know, you think back, going back, you know, Dave Mackay or someone grabbing you and Graham Roberts. Perryman. I can't yeah. remember the last time. I mean, Lenny King was a superb player, but he was quiet. You know, you need a captain who's going to, you know, a Vieira. Someone's going to key and a shout. Come on, grab it, Boris. We have not had one of those for I can I, yeah. I can't remember. One interesting gripe though is that we played in the Europa League on the Thursday night. I think seem to remember, and then we were made to play a lunchtime kickoff against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, twelve o'clock or something. Oh, it was a league one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought, how has that been allowed to happen? And uh, would Fergie or Mourinho have put up with that? You know, it's just something that sticks mm. in my mind. I just remember. That cup game was at midday. Not the cup, that was the league one that was like that, but... Was it the league one? Yeah, yeah. but it's still, I mean, still the same point. Yeah. It's Mourinho as a manager, wasn't he? And, and Martin Yo, this is yeah. a tactical disaster in that cup game you mentioned. He took a striker off. You guys he talked t- before about yeah. Martin Yo being tactically naive and the leads that we were giving away, like this Chelsea one and the Arsenal one in the league cup, it just goes back to that. I remember he used to have a thing of taking off one of the strikers and just going 4-5-1. It's just a lazy... There's nothing tactical about that, of taking a striker off and putting him in midfield. It's just kind of like a lazy way of trying to kind of shore up the team defensively and it never seemed to work. Yeah, and I I, I, I love Martin Yol at the time, but uh, I have to say that uh, that's where he fell a bit short. As an in-game sort of management of situations, like reacting to the in-game situations... I think it would just slightly fall short there. Yeah, I agree. But we, we had a brilliant UEFA Cup run. Um, I mean, it's, it's our first foray into the competition for a real, real long time. Um, we beat Savia Prague, and then we got in the group stage. We won our group, which is a really strong group. We've done Bucharest, Leverkusen, Besiktas, and Club Rouge. So that was really, really good. I remember going to a few of those. But then it was really strange. In the, in the last 32, we drew Feyenoord, but um, we got a walkover. I don't know if anyone remembers the reason why. Crowd disturbance, yeah. yeah. They threw a pint of beer at Blackburn Rovers. We beat Braga away. Um, we beat Braga in the next one, but then we um, we ended up against Juan de Ramos's Seville at home, who had Freddie Canute and uh, Danny Alves playing for them. I remember going to the home game. Just remember, they absolutely played us off the park. They did, and Danny Alves was, was really good. And Canute, Freddie Canute, who was sold to them the season before. I mean, he was a great player. Peter, what was your memories of Freddie Canute? 
Yeah, I was, I was actually really sad when he left. But then I was slightly tempered by Defoe. I did like Canute. Going back to the Seville game, I hadn't even taken a bite out of my burger and we were 2-0 down in that home Seville game. Malbranc scored an old you, goal or something on the goal line or something. Yeah, and then we sort of got back into it. But um, do you think that's a great example of Levy being a bit short-sighted with, and us going on about the managers? You know, suddenly he likes a team who actually wiped the floor with a Seville and think, oh, I'll, have the, I'll have their manager. But yeah. is it just always like a... Like, you know, he isn't done like his, his due diligence on getting this manager. It's a reactive decision, isn't it? Okay, guys, so that's the trawl through a 59 game season, a long 59 game season. So, if I just get around the table as we normally do, Sim, how would you want to sum, sum up the season uh, in a couple of words? I'm actually going to nick this off one of the season review DVDs that I had, and it was just Goals Galore, was the name of the, the, name of the season oh, review really? for this year. Yeah, so I'm going to nick that. It was, it was a really exciting season, wasn't cool. it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Peter, what would you what would be your sort of couple of words to sum up the season? Highs and lows. You know, scoring loads of goals, but like conceding them as well. Berbatov caught the eye. Sim's first proper game was a 4-1 home victory against Bolton. Keener got sent off and Berbatov was just like imperious in that game. But yeah, I mean, he yeah. provided the highs, but our defence provided the lows. Promising, but you know, could do better. Yeah. Going into the next season... If we looked for a, a Carricky sort of player that can pass the ball out and sorted our defence out and kept that team, I, you know, I think we could have really pushed on. A B plus, do you think? A B plus, see me on the bottom. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay, guys, thank you, uh, Sim and Peter. Thanks Cheers, for uh, recording this today. And Chris, great to have you on. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow when we review the 2005-2006 season, which I think, if we can all remember, had a very, very bad ending. So thanks for listening, guys. Keep safe, keep well, and spread the word for YE1. Thanks, bye. Cheers, guys.